0: wow i could really use current i also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales i guess i'll just go to their website at current.tech
1: my name is brian huang Hong, and i am an illustrator based in canada and a lot of the work i do is exploring vietnamese mythology and history and culture
2: welcome to the vietnamese i'm your host kenneth win being part of a culture of nearly hundred million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. What does it mean to be Vietnamese to you?
1: I think it depends on you know your experience, and each generation has a different experience. For our our, par- our parents, aunts, and uncles, and our grandparents, like it was about survival. I think for our generation, it was about fitting in with where it like, well, the diaspora anyways. Right. And then for the generation below us, I think it's just about continuing on the legacy and like not forgetting, um, what happened before. And even to us, I think like we, uh, like I, I was a boat person, but I was way too young to remember it. So I think it's kind of my duty to, know what happened and keep it going keep the the information and the history like alive in, in culture and stuff you know
2: yeah you do a lot of that through your work
1: i try to yeah i definitely try to because i think a lot of um <clears throat> i've mentioned this before uh, to a few people i only just in the last like you know six seven years i've really started to embrace our, our history and our, our culture where where I came from and I think a lot of people in the diaspora kind of go through that where you're trying so hard to fit in right and you just kind of forget where you came from and that was me and only in the like again in the past decade have I really started yeah. to like, make up for lost time and uh, yeah again like just pay respect to like those who came before us you know what I mean
2: yeah I wonder if that's ever going to go away for
1: us you know <laughs> Yeah, I think, uh, that's a tough one. Because I think as the world, especially with the internet, like we came here, uh, Well, I know you, you were born in, in mm-hmm. California though, but like still, you, you had the same experience as I did being like Vietnamese in a Western for sure, right? You're, you're part of the diaspora. And I think for us, it does slowly go away with age. I think for the generation below us, I think with the internet, it's the world has become so small, and there's so much. Well, depending on where you talk about, but like especially in North America, there's so much diversity here now. Yeah, I think you don't have to try so hard to fit in. You just kind of have to be yourself in this this landscape that that's out there now, and it's a lot easier now. I think, anyways.
2: It, it is. It is, and I'm. Always uh, thinking about the future, because I, I think this sort of like question of reaching back and kind of like punishing ourselves with this, oh. you know, this yeah. memory of our parents or, you know, what they went through, it can only go so far. And I, I, I really wonder what's around the corner for um, all of the members in our diaspora. I think about that a lot now lately, because... Yeah. Um, It's wonderful to hear about how people are expressing themselves, um, what they think about being Vietnamese. But at the same time, there's a beauty to kind of like coming out of that cocoon and, you know, flapping our wings as butterflies.
1: Oh, 100 percent, man. Like, I've never felt so like, like, I don't know, not not free, but like just um, proud to express myself. Like, I'm more unapologetically Vietnamese now than I've ever been in my entire life. You know, like you go through my Instagram and it's just like ninety percent of my feed is just about Vietnam now. Whereas you go back like three or two two years ago, even my Instagram feed was fucking video games and yeah. and Marvel movies and stuff like that. And you know, but now it's just this is what I want to embrace. This is what I want to share. I want yeah. more people to, to know about it. And this is kind of my way of doing it. But do you do you feel like? I just wanted to kind of ask you when you're talking about like you know our parents is, do you feel there's like that guilt that we didn't endure what they endured I I used to feel that
2: and I'm glad that yeah. you're
1: asking me that
2: and I yeah. encourage you to ask me whenever you whenever you have questions um cuz I like to answer questions too Awesome Yeah and yes I I do um I do think about that but at the same time, um, they didn't go through what other people went through, per se. I don't really feel like my parents, you know, uh, I think there's levels to all of this, too. Right. There's like <laughs> parents who, um, you know, one parent was uh, in, in the re-education system uh, in Vietnam for six years, 10 years, 13 years. There, there's yeah. levels to all of this three years at the minimum, uh, when they come out, if they, um, had the means to, to leave in a certain way, you know, an orderly departure program, you know, that there's different ways that you develop this, uh, scar, the trauma, the hate, you know, so my parents, um, you know, got out a little bit earlier than 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 most and you know so they they came here with a, a different sensibility and and i want to honor all of it i want to honor that way of leaving i want to honor the way of um people having such trauma you know i've had family members who uh, uh parents you know fathers uh basically perished in in in, in the re-education systems and so yeah. and then their their mom was you know uh six kids and had to like flee a certain way. So there's nuances and I, and I just hope to show all of it, um, as much as I can.
1: Yeah. You bring up a good point. Cause like, I always kind of felt like, you know, we went through the shit and it's like, wow, you know, we, we survived and yada, yada, yada. And then I started listening to, uh, Vietnamese, you know, the Vietnamese boat people podcast. Yeah. Tracy, Tracy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, man, the stories on that. Yeah. And then I asked, uh, I asked my dad, like, what our journey was like. I was like, well, we got it kind of easy, mm-hmm. like relatively easy. Like, but then again, but by doing that, now we're comparing, yeah, trauma, and that yeah. doesn't seem right either. It's like, well, I had it bad, but then you had it worse, so I, I feel bad for you. But then I had it worse than you, so you should feel bad for me. And it's like, what are we doing here? You know. But it, it is. It, it does, that does go through my head. I'm like we we're lucky we're so lucky that it, our journey was relatively smooth all things considered you know yeah, and
2: and this is a really uh important discussion because it also um it, in, inside of our communities i mean everywhere from i i'm, I'm imagining african american or pakistani or wherever you go in the world there's like levels to everything And many times I feel like the polarity, the extreme sides of discussions are the only ones that are being covered. And so it's so important to discuss nuances and the the in-betweens, the grays of, you know, because that's sort of where most people are living. Nobody, you know, not everybody's living on, you know, the extremes. People are living a lot in the middle and having that discussion of in the middle, I think brings everybody closer, not just black and white or you know Asian and Mexican, but within our community, within our own Vietnamese community, it brings us closer. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now um I am on your Instagram uh quite a bit last week and man, you are a funny dude. (laughs) I was reading this stuff and I was like, dude, this guy could easily be a comedian writing writing comedy uh you know it's some fucking funny shit and and it's funny because it's smart and it's intelligent and Thanks, you yeah and i'm like I, I was distracted the art was like for me like kind of in the background i was like reading the captions i was like this is some funny shit it was like um i think you were talking about lady Jew and uh and, and and god you hit it like twice you you're like um, she could have been, you know, it, it was like something about the heavyweight in the
1: uh, oh, yeah, yeah, it was when she beat uh stone cold for the uh, yeah, at, at uh, even with Vince McMahon there, she she took him out, she took both of them out. It's,
2: it's it's like a serious uh drawing or sketch, or because I think you were in the sketch phase, it's like serious, and then I'm reading it like thinking it's a serious historical like comment, right. And I was like, holy shit, this is so funny. Like, I can't forget <laughs> the first thing you wrote, but it threw me off. And I was like, all right, that's cool. And then the second part of it was the, the you know, the WWE part. You remember
1: <laughs> the first part? I'm trying to, I, I can't remember what I wrote for that. Um, I mean, I, I can bring it up now real quick for you.
2: You know, I, um, I encourage everybody to uh, go. What's your Instagram uh, handle?
1: It is at Bri draws. So B R I. Yeah. H O A N G D R A W S
2: So yeah not not only will you all be uh, blown away by the art that's why Brian's here obviously to talk about that but uh I encourage you to write more captions your shit's funny man and I think Thanks, man. That- I
0: appreciate
1: that
2: that's Thank almost you. like everything, you know, because, you know, uh, the art is just on point. It's just um, mind blowing. It's it's fantastic. But the writing is, you know, I came for the art and I'm here to stay because <laughs> the, the caption.
1: Dude, I, I have like, you know, a joke a week. That's it. Like, I, I don't know if I could do a whole like Chris Rock uh, you know, hour long. <laughs>
2: that takes time. You should, you should put them it together. Yeah. Yeah, it you should string time. this t- stuff together. So but
1: you got to like, you got to laugh at shit too. Right. You yeah.
2: Know. Yeah. Kebby. But I think your work is so serious, you know, it's like so intricate and th- th- there's a lot of emotions that are, you know, strong emotions, you know, it's, it's like strong, it's like really strong yeah. uh, visuals.
1: Thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like uh, just cause this, this work is so like meaningful now, like you kind of compare what I'm doing now. And it's not like I didn't do my best before, but I think when you just feel this attachment to your, your subject matter and the, the content you're creating, it just, you know, you, you, you just have that extra push to like make it extra special, I guess, for, for lack of a better term. And that's what I've been doing like with the, the Vietnamese stuff it's just more personal to me, you know, yeah. so more comes out of it.
2: You know, I, I, I'm trying to move away from this format of going, um, you know, uh, chronologically with people's lives. I, I'm going to go everywhere today because I think. Yeah. Go just...
1: oh, oh, nuts, man. I'm, I'm ready. <laughs>
2: yeah. So when did you start to figure out this style? Um, because I'm sure you didn't wake up one day right out of school or something going, oh, you know, I'm going to start doing that. And then, you know, I'm going to refine that. I mean, I'm sure it just took you know, and and what leads you down that sort of path where you hone in on this type of work?
1: So, do you mean like the the the, the, style.
2: the style, the style, the images no. that you, the visuals that you 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 yeah. pick,
1: the subject matter? So the style is, that was like because when when I was in art school, the thing that I know the pressure for a lot of us, not not everyone, but for me as well, was to come up with a style you know It's like you look at all these professionals and like you look at the that's instantly that person's this is instantly recognizable as that person so you get it in your head it's like well i have to do like i have to make up a gimmick basically so my gimmick in college was like these these pattern swirls and then once i got out of it it just wasn't working anymore so you start looking for other influences and to be honest, uh, not to suck up to her, but my wife was a huge influence on me. We, we, we graduated together and her style was always, I always thought it was really good. Like she had this fine line between realism and like interpretive and yeah, she just really like influenced me. And then comic books influenced me. So I just started using more reference from like, I I, like, that's another thing, actually, let let me just uh, take take you off on a a little path here. So I came up with this idea of like, wanting to be just being able to draw everything out of my head. Because that, to me was a sign of like, a true artist, like I can, I don't need reference this, that the other, right? Yeah. Because that's a skill, man, to like, just draw it out of your head. And then but I wasn't happy with the work I was coming up with. So I'm like, no, man, like, don't feel ashamed about using reference. All the great artists have used reference and so, a lot of them still do. Yeah. A lot of the uh, professional artists I follow on Instagram, they they make no bones about like using reference. So I was like, you know, fuck it. Like I, I use reference. So that's one of my art started becoming what it is now. Cause you can see like the, the realism, like this is definitely not like just, I, I don't, I can't come up with those like realistic lights and shadows in my head. So,
2: and then. no, let, let me stop you there. What When yeah, you yeah. say that, what, like, what do you do? You go into books and you look at Caravaggio and you look at lights. I mean, what, what are you referencing that uh, you're yes. talking about?
1: A lot of photographs that, you know, you, you, when I take a photograph reference, I manipulate it because you don't want to just lift a f- uh, photo reference. That picture belongs to someone else. Right. So you're basically stealing So I manipulate it, I kind of like Frankenstein it with other things, so it becomes my own composition, and uh, when I can, I take my own pictures for lighting reference, for Mm -hmm. poses, uh, especially for hands. Hands are, I hate drawing hands. Hands are hard to draw. Yeah, (laughs) you can imagine. Yeah, so I try to take my own photos when I can, otherwise I just kind of like call from like um, reference books or photos, and then change them enough that I'm not just like straight up, you know, lifting yeah. uh, someone's photography. Cause that's, that's their work too. Right. I'm not going to just, but yeah.
2: Yeah. It, it's like every, uh, I don't want to be so absolute, but a lot of art, food, cooking, music, you kind of have to have a reference point. Otherwise it's sort of squishy and, you know, the, the form's gone and yeah. you know it's unrecognizable. Like we can't triangulate that sort of um form in our mind when we're looking or tasting or hearing these things. So we need to bring in the artist, I guess, needs to bring in sort of these reference points to kind of like structurally put things into place, right?
1: Oh, for sure. You, like everything needs reference. You you can't because like without reference, you're basically creating a new Right No. you kind of like have to like well well using your food example. I know this is sour. It didn't work with this other person's recipe. So I'm going to tweak it. It's a reference point. So the same with same with art same with everything everything creative I think needs reference.
2: And and I, I guess like in avant-garde stuff where things are just like guys are just flying off the handle and you know you just don't recognize it because it's just so new and and yeah. there's no format to that. Uh, that it's a little bit disorienting, right?
1: Yeah, because yeah, you're you're like, oh that's new. And you know, some people take it right away. It's like this novelty, and that novelty eventually becomes something. That is mainstream or just like more in general. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's always jarring for sure, for sure. The first time something's out of the box. But then you also kind of have to at the same time respect someone for thinking that way. It's like I never would have thought of that. Yeah. And I think it's incredible that someone did. And now they've created like a whole new genre of whatever field that they're in, which is amazing to me. I love it.
2: Yeah. I think about the Marvel universe. It's just basically lifted religion, right? Like yeah, Catholicism, those are saints. And, you know, we've been conditioned for that, you know, kind of like thinking for 2000 years and Marvel, it's just uh, a universe where we're in that world of saints with superpowers. Yeah. It's just a different skin.
1: It's different skin, different time period. And it's just like, yeah, modern technology. And But we're telling basically the same stories over and over again. Even yeah. our own like Vietnamese mythology, heavily influenced by Chinese mythology was heavily influenced by European mythology, which came from, you know, like Greek and Roman mythology. Yeah. You could go all the way back, you know?
2: And that brings me to uh, this question of these renditions that you have, these references that you have. One thing, like, this is such a weird question, but one thing that I noticed with, I think it's the Lelai and the um, Kim, right? The face of King Leleli, Le- Le, right? Yeah, it has African for me, African features. Oh, it, really? To me, yeah. I felt like it, it was just very like African features, and it was it, again strong is the way I uh, describe uh, the art that when I when I look at your art, it's and I don't mean like strong like the, the technical side is strong. I'm talking like strong, fierce uh, imagery. Yeah, and 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 it I just. Sh- conjured up you know a very african face to me um so i'm I'm surprised of your reaction i'm surprised that you're surprised
1: definitely not not my intention at all i I was kind of like i know for one kind of influence i was actually looking at some uh samurai warriors like japanese Mm. uh and then just kind of like uh melding that with like just random vietnamese faces and just taking features and mixing them together but yeah the the basis for that was actually japanese the the face
2: yeah and i bring that up because images that we associate with in um our culture sometimes whether it's religious culture like uh how we depict what well, we see depictions of jesus christ you know this white man who's like clean yeah. you know like you know handsome right yeah. or i've never thought that i can look at a king a rendition of a king in vietnam and see the sort of the details of strength um and 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 look at it from a kind of different cultural side at when I think of like, like an African king, you know, it's just like that, that kind of, but now that you're explaining that this is no, 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 this is like coming from an, a very Asian, uh, you know, references that you, that you have, I'm, I'm really, uh, impressed because it gives us this other side, this other way of looking at strength and this other way of looking at, uh, from your eyes, from, from the way that you see, see the world, totally different from what I'm used to seeing or not seeing at all. I, I, I would I, I don't remember the last time I saw like a king, a Vietnamese king depicted with that much detail uh, in his face.
1: Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate that. But I think that's interesting that, you know, you, you saw what you saw. Yeah. And that's, I think that's uh this is such a cliche art thing to, to say, but like, yeah, it, the image is there so that the viewer sees what they see. Um, whether it was what the artists uh, saw yeah. or intended is kind of, is relevant to a point, but ultimately you want the viewer to take from it what they take from it. And I think that's exactly what you did, right? Like yeah, you associated this this power with like an African king and that's what you saw from it. So I think that's cool. I think that's cool that the, you brought up. Yeah, because I think, you know, people
2: in my family view the French in a certain way that I don't necessarily see. I I don't agree with, you know, and I don't uh, appreciate sometimes the way they see uh, Eurocentric praising and their, their visual uh, sensibilities for for beauty
1: is different. You know, that's a whole can of worms. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's a topic.
2: (laughs) That is a topic. And I, and that's why I wanted to bring it up because to me, it's, it's always been a topic. It's always been a topic to me. It's always been something that I think about quite often. It's like, well, why do we have European standards of beauty? You know, yeah. and so I look at the, this king, and I'm like, oh, okay, I can connect with this. This is this is something that I I feel like it's, it's different and it's expansive, you know, Thanks, expansive man. but in- inclusive at the same time.
1: Yeah, I uh, appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. Um, yeah, again, like I'm really glad that you saw something that you know, I didn't put there, but is there for you? I think that's really cool.
2: Yeah. What, one other thing too, I, I feel like um, as I'm going through your stuff, I, you know, this, the speed of our scrolling today, our, our thumbs, we want to, we want to keep scrolling really quickly.
1: Yeah.
2: And in doing that, I ran out of stuff to look at. Right. So, and I was like thinking to myself, Man, this is a greedy way of living, and it's a very shallow way of living. So I, I literally slowed down and went from I went back up to the top, and I slowly scrolled and slowly stayed within um, this sort of mindfulness to look at the details again, and you know, and and thinking that some young artists like you should have like an infinite amount of like, you know, work. It it was so, you know, I thought about that. I was like, it's really fucked up that, you know, Brian probably spent hours and hours of his life creating this one thing for me to just like scroll through it and get to the next one and expect him to have more content, you know, it's such a, and so I wanted to bring that up today. And I was like, so when people are going through your IG account, slow the fuck down, and study and feel what the images are trying to convey to you not 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 from Brian the artist to you but what what do we you know i, I i'm just like wanting to say we we just got to slow down and and enjoy what the artist you know created for us to to really enjoy
1: yeah no i i i feel you man like i totally agree and i'm I'll admit, like I'm guilty of the exact same thing, and I'm <laughs> on this side of the fence of being, like you know, an illustrator, an artist, and creating the the content I create. I do the same thing to other artists. I'm like, this is awesome, this is awesome, this yeah. is awesome, and but that's that's the you know now we're getting to like the 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 way that we consume media now, yeah. which is a conversation that everyone's talked about on every well, form of media, uh, uh, IG, Facebook, podcasts, you know, what have you, uh, YouTube. And you're just expecting these people to put all this work in. Yeah. And it's like, well, that was cool. So when's the next one? Like I do that with YouTube channels. I'm like, oh yeah. shit, that's it? Like no more videos? And then I stopped, I was like, this video probably took them like months of research. Yeah. And like months, hours, weeks, months of like putting together. And I should know that because one of my friends, she's a producer for uh, a YouTuber. And, you know, we talked about it. I'm like, shit, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. You got to like really, you do have to stop and appreciate it. Even the shitty ones, you know, even like movies, music, like even if you don't like it, these people put so much work into it so now i'm trying i try to like i sell my opinions of certain yeah. things but i try to appreciate the work that went into it you know so yeah, yeah the,
2: the future is here um oh, and there's so much content that are, is being created so often but i hope as the future is here and we begin to walk into these virtual metaverses that we can also like develop a different way of being which is the mindfulness of staying put and processing images or sound and taste in a different way, we can slow down a little bit and enjoy it.
1: Yeah. But I think with the future, just more content is constantly coming out at a faster rate. Yeah. So for someone who just, uh, wants to see as much as possible, they're gonna, they're gonna do that. And they're gonna be like, again, like what's next. Cause I want to see this, I want to see this, but then I also want to see this, this, and this. And I don't have time to like stop and like will smell the roses, uh, for lack of a better term.
2: But, but yeah, you but, know what though? I mean, even though we're having these TikTok moments where things are 30 seconds, two-minute clips, they're very short form content, but there's also this proliferation of long longer form content too. You know, you see these long yeah. form podcasters, minimum of three hour uh episodes yeah. now. And then you're like, wait a minute. So 10 years ago, when you first started out, you only did an hour. And how is it that throughout 10 years that things are getting longer for those guys? You know, I'm not going to name names, but there's not just one of them. There's many of these guys yeah. that are going deeper and deeper with their guests. And I and I think that's something that's a trend that they know something about because they're massive podcasters. There's, you know, there's a trend there that's happening that I'm paying attention to because, you know, I'm in the space and. You know maybe 90 minutes an hour is not enough anymore for some people because you know what if there's so many fans of, of brian huang out there that just want to know so. more right or you know in five years you 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 get commissioned by Marvel to 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 create some and I'm putting it out there create you know these visuals for a Vietnamese Marvel uh, character and they come to you and then people are like, all right, let's go back. Oh, fuck. We only have 90 minutes of Brian five years ago on the podcast. And so it's, it's, you know, people want to get to know the genetic thinking, you know, of, of Brian's, you know, art, you know, I'm, I'm just putting it out there, but there's a trend to go longer with these sorts of podcasts. And um, you know, I, in the yeah. next five years, I don't want you just to be here once, I, you know, I want to see you back over and over as your art. in you know, yeah, I, I,
1: I hope so, man. I totally hope so. But kind of going back to what you say about like long format, I love like, you know, your your podcast, like you do an hour to an hour and a half. Yeah. And I love this like, you're, yeah, that is short compared to some other podcasts, but yeah. you do get a sense of like the person you're, you're talking to. You know, you get to like, um, you might not ask them everything, but that I, I love listening to long interviews like that, where it's not just like, and I know you've mentioned this, uh, a couple of your guests have mentioned this before too, where it's not just like, hey, I'm here uh, promoting this. All right, peace out. Yeah. No, you, yeah. you 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 ask them their opinions, they ask you your opinions. I love listening to this shit. Like, I love it.
2: Yeah, me too. I'm, I mean, that's why I'm here, because yeah. I feel like the luckiest man in the world, being able to sit with Vietnamese um, all around the world to to hear like your journey.
1: Yeah, that's that's another thing. Like, I love that there is like I think more are coming out now. Yeah. But to have a long format interview on Vietnamese culture that you do, uh, like kudos to you, man. Like I love what you do. I'm so glad you do it. You know, thankful. I think a lot of people in our community are thankful for what you do. So. And
2: and I am too. Yeah. I'm very thankful to to yeah. be able to have people like you and all these other guests open up, uh, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful and and it's such a meaningful place to be, um, to do this work. So thank you. Um, So I want to ask you about like just some stuff that is on a practical level that I've always thought about, and I've always been curious about, which is print numbers, right? So when you think like when you go and you see somebody's um, uh, in somebody's living room, it says one of, or five or 50 of 50 slash 50, right. or three of 25. Like, what can you, I mean, I have an idea, but can you like dig down and explain what that means and why artists do that and what it does to the pricing structure, the economics of, you know, having prints like that? Mm-hmm.
1: So basically you're, you're creating like a, a scarcity uh, with the print, right? So, and it, I'll get into, like, um, why I do it. But basically, yeah, if there's only 50 copies of this certain print, of this specific edition, like, you could do, like, a different edition with, like, a different color or different whatever, right? But this exact edition has only, like, 50 copies. Art collectors are going to kind of, like, well, I want to be one of the 50 that own it. So, yeah, you, you do kind of, like, create a scarcity of it, which makes it a little more valuable for art collectors and stuff. I do it. There is that, Uh, you know, just making it like a little more valuable to people. Like it's not just like uh, a digital print that like, I can just keep printing in perpetuity. But I also do it because it kind of kicks my ass to like make the next one. Cause like this print run is going to run out one day. So I need something to replace it. And, you know, like a lot of times, you know, being an artist and just creating art should be enough motivation. And it is, but sometimes you do need that extra, like, you know, drive for me. I'm, I'm just speaking for me personally. I can't speak right. for any other artist. but yeah, I just don't want to like rest on my laurels. And this I've found is a way to not do that. So like this print was really popular. You know, a lot of people bought it um it was great and i just kind of like just rely on it i don't want to do that i right. want to make something better and then after that make something better than that and like just keep going you know
2: but keep but pushing. how how do you decide if you do 50 why not just do one one of one like people are like oh that's a monet there's only one of that but why do 50 why do 25 of them
1: uh you know what i don't know i think uh I kind of see, hmm, I don't know how to answer that question, <laughs> to be oh. honest. Yeah,
2: I've always wondered about that, I, you know, because I'll see it in people's homes. And I'm like, why doesn't the artist just make one of them and then move on to another, you know, design? I mean, or-
1: some, some do. Some, I think it just comes down to the artist, to the, the print, how they feel about it. If they want it to be really scarce or if they want more people to have it. Uh, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, there's no like set rule. Like it's totally up to me to come up with the number that I want to make a print run of. And yeah. So speaking personally, I don't know why, why one print I made a hundred of and the other I've only made 50 of. Might have been my budget at the time for printing costs. (laughs) Oh, I
2: see that. That plays into it, doesn't it?
1: For me it does. Yeah. Yeah. I think for some other artists, they they, it's not an issue, but for me, sometimes, yeah, I kind of gotta see my budget for the month and
0: stuff.
2: Have you ever been sort of like um, right or wrong about how many you print for a show?
1: Jesus, yeah, (laughs) fuck yeah! (laughs) It's it's different for every show, which is kind of keeps me on my toes. But at the same time, I'm like at one show. I sold out of this. So I better bring more of that. And this one barely moved. So I don't need to bring a lot of that. The next show, it's completely flip-flopped. I'm like, uh, what the hell? You know, it's, it's just, it's so unpredictable. And same with print runs too. Like I'll do like a hundred of one print. And that'll be my print run. And I think it'll sell pretty well and it moves, but then I'll do another one with only like 50 and it, it sells out in like a month. So it's so hard to, like, to so gauge. hard to, yeah, totally, man, totally hard to gauge. It's impossible to gauge. Even yeah. even with, um, like, you'd think comments on Facebook and Instagram and whatever social media would help gauge, like, yeah. the, the the potential popularity of, like, a certain print. It doesn't. I'll get, like, one post and tons of people like, oh, this is awesome. I love it. Uh, yada, yada, yada. And then, so, oh, okay, I'll print more of that. I'll make a bigger print run of that. And it sells okay. And then another one, it's like crickets and it sells out. So it's, there's so many factors and you just can't, you can't know there's, there's no math to it, you know? Yeah.
2: Speaking of which, do you, when you started out as a as an actual business of, you know, art, did you study other, and I'm, I ask these things because, uh, you know, for my own life, yeah. W- when I get into different projects, I, I like to dig into their podcasts and dig into their way of doing things. So I have like best practices under, under, understood. Did you... Go and look at the way, you know, a bigger artists were were making their living and sort of emulated. Was there did you feel like there's a, a formula for artists to do things in the world that you're that you live in? You know, there's best practices and you know, I guess I'm asking, yeah. um, is there sort of like a, a, a concrete way? for younger artists to kind of like take a path where like, okay, this is what you do. This is how we do it in the way, in the way that, um, in the world of, of your commerce, uh, uh, you, in, in your niche of the world.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, no concrete way. I, I don't think there's a concrete way to do it, especially uh, with social media now. You know, there's there might've been like a, a pretty solid guide, not like a concrete guide, like not, nothing written in stone but there was probably like a a pretty rock solid guide for illustrators that came before me. You know, you you get a portfolio, you go to life drawing class, get a portfolio done, start illustrating, and then you take it into clients and cold calling and stuff like that, you know, create a mailer. But you always had to take it through the gatekeepers. Now those gatekeepers, they're still there. And they're still, you know, like there's still value to like, going through big publishers and, you know, distributors and stuff like that. But it is so much easier now with social media that a lot of those shackles have kind of been taken off. Mm. So, you know, to answer your question, I don't think there's a concrete way, but I would say uh, in today's day and age, social media, just utilize it. Utilize social media, use the right hashtags, um, You know, get get your work in front of potential customers and clients, and they might not be big distributors and big publishers and stuff, but you get enough eyes on it, it might find its way to that publisher that you've been looking for. So I think that's the the best advice. I know Instagram has been a huge boon to to my, my work in recent years for sure.
2: But you, you work in nine to five, regular, typical art job or something before you stepped off and created your own unique
1: brand, right? Uh, no, no. I was working in a hotel for 10 years. Oh. Yeah. So after graduation, I actually worked in uh, two two hotels. Uh, not going to name them because, you know, I didn't have a, a great time at them. Yeah. But yeah, I just... It was just a, like a soul sucking job. Like I was a minibar attendant and it was basically eight hours a day of knocking on doors, uh, asking people they want their minibar refilled and refilling it if they need it, checking their name off. And you had to do like 90 to a hundred rooms a day, just the same, yeah, the same shit every day. And, I mean, there were worse jobs out there, for sure. I shouldn't complain because the housekeepers at these hotels, I, I, I'll say this to your audience, <laughs> treat your housekeepers well when you stay at a hotel because they're such hard workers. So they had it way worse than I did. But, yeah, it, it, I mean, there's there's no... There's nothing rewarding about doing minibar at a five-star hotel at Fucking all. 10 years, man. Yeah, 10 years. Doing art on the side, but yeah, that was my main thing basically wake up shower work come home play video games draw i i I would still try and draw but some days you just couldn't man you just didn't have the energy
2: you know during those 10 years what was going on through your mind did you ever see like the future going okay on year 10 i'm going to stop this shit and uh and i'm going to go full throttle and i have a vision for myself or during those 10 years, did you go, you know, like, what the fuck am I doing?
1: Oh, definitely. What the fuck am I doing? <laughs> For sure. Because it was, there was uh, a moment where I was kind of starting to get into like comic conventions and stuff. I'm like, okay, this might be my, out, but it's, it wasn't. Fickle. It was, yeah, it is. It is very fickle. And it was just like, it just felt like a hobby. And at that time it was, you know? So, uh, but then. And I, I know I mentioned this to you on your our, our pre-interview. My wife started doing conventions with me and she started doing the math. And she's like, you know, like my work and your work together, we could, we do like at least 10 of these shows a year. Cause I was only doing one, a show, one show a year just for fun in Toronto, like the local one in Toronto. She's like, if we can like start traveling and start doing these shows, like in as many cities as we can, we could probably like fuck off with these jobs and like do our oh. own work. So and her work totally carried those first few years for sure, and it still does.
2: Her like, her, her artwork
1: or her? her artwork. Or did yeah. she have a mini bar job? Uh, in Oh, in she, she actually did mini bar with me too. I got her. I got her a job in the mini bar. was like, because I'm if I'm gonna suffer, you're gonna suffer with me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but um, so her work, her artwork carried you for the first. Yeah. Oh
1: man. Yeah. So it was her art that kind of like allowed us to start traveling to all these other shows and you know she built a following I started slowly started building a following in other cities and as well like outside of Toronto and since 2014 2014 yeah 2014 we quit and we just started doing art full-time and th- that's what it's been since it's been awesome man like i i still to this day i've been doing this 8 years now and i still pinch myself i'm like people yeah. are paying me for my artwork and it's enough to like live on it, it's it's a dream come true
2: really you know you know Brian i i am um, i am not there yet right i this is my second year and um i have so much respect for for that because you know, I, I can imagine a lot of human beings in this day and age are doing mini bar work. They're doing work, um, I do menial jobs to feed my family to get to the next, you know, yeah. I wanna be at your two four, 2014, you know, where you were and going, fuck it, this is yeah. what I do, this is how I make my money, you know? Um, and that is a beautiful place to be, but we all got to fucking grind Oh, for any sure, artists, any creative endeavor, you have to grind for 10 years at the fucking mini bar. Yeah. You have to be a mini bar attendant. And I, and I, I worship at the altar of that kind of grind. You know, it's, it's a big theme in, in, you know, my podcast because you just don't get to be born and do this, uh, whatever that creative endeavor is. You have to find a way to improve your shit to where people want to pay money to buy it.
1: Hundred percent, like a hundred percent. And that's what I mean. Like, there's so many times during those years where, well, you know, like like we said earlier, like, what the fuck am I doing? You know, like, I'm, I'm my art's going nowhere. I hate this job. Uh, well, hate's a strong word. The, the job wasn't that bad, <laughs> but it definitely wasn't like fulfilling at all. I didn't grow as a person. If anything, I probably shrank as a person. <laughs> I just became like this bitter, jaded, like, <laughs> you know, fuck rich people and boss me around, get me this, get me that. <laughs> you know? But I um, can't yeah, remember what I was going to say now. <laughs> it's like I got, I got on this rant about working at the hotel. <laughs>
2: Hey, this is what this is all about, right? Because <laughs> we can, we can rant yeah, about it, you know? You know? Yeah, but uh, talking about yeah, the journey, the, how difficult the grind was. And,
1: yeah, yeah, the, the grind, it, that, that's what it was. I was like, what am I doing? But, and I, I will say, like, I had this stroke of luck of being with someone who was hmm. also an artist and had the, the the talent and the guts to say, hey, let's do this, let's quit our jobs, 'Cause we can do this. And she she you know, she pulled me out of that. She pulled herself out of that and she she pulled me along with her, you know. So I, I know Jill, you're gonna be listening to this. So thank you, Jill. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's everything.
1: But yeah, no, for yeah, sure, That's and, everything. But I mentioned like you even your podcast, you've only been doing it for like two years, you said? Uh um,
2: about a year and a half.
1: Look at the the guests you've had on.
2: You because know, but, you know, that's, you know, again, 20 years in the grind, you know, yeah. um, living, knowing sort of intuitively that I always thought that I would write um, books about filmmakers. You know, I so, so the weirdest thing, because I'm around those guys a lot. And I thought yeah. one day I'm going to just, you know, uh, put together um, biographies, uh, short biographies and put in a compilation. Yeah. You know, it was the weirdest thing, like for for a long time, I I kept thinking, like, you know, I'll work alongside these guys and one day I'll put a compilation together. So i will just try to expand the the amount of um, filmmakers that I knew, producers, directors, actors, whatever, writers. And so at some point, um, maybe five years ago, I was like, okay, I see all these big long form guys, you know, in the mainstream. I would love to do that. And, you know and, and it wasn't a reality because i suck at technology that's why this new camera you know i was so excited so
1: it's all about growth man it's all about growth
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and just like you it's um you know we grind and we grind and we we, all, we always have what the fuck am i doing with my life moments you know for mm-hmm. for and i'm like it, you know my mid 40s having that feeling right now you know um and 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 you know, just, I know that if I just keep drawing like you, like this is my drawing and just keep sketching, you know, eventually this sort of work becomes the work that you are intended to do for life.
1: That's the goal, right? Yeah, For sure. And I think like, you know, being in your mid 40s, I'm I'm not much uh, younger than you. I'm 42. I'm turning 43 very soon. And, but then you also look at like, Some actors who didn't get their big break until they were in their 60s. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it, yeah, ideally you would like to kind of get into the industry while you're younger, but things happen the way they did. And as long as you get in, you're your foot in the door in whatever industry you happen to be in, and you kind of get to enjoy it and reap the rewards. I'm okay with, like, hitting yeah. my stride at, like, 42, you know, like, so. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. If if you find
2: the work, because it takes renditions, different versions of your artistic journey or creative journey to finally land on whatever hat you're meant to wear. hundred percent. Yeah. And if you enjoy the journey every step of the way, not the, not the minibar version, you know, of, of of that grind. But if you're enjoying the actual progression of the art and the creative endeavors that you're going after, that makes it um, bearable. It makes life bearable. Totally. And you know what,
1: even with that minibar, I, you know, I really did not enjoy it at the time, but I'm so thankful for it Mm. because when you are past it, you look back at it and you're like, that was, you know, like, that was part of the journey yeah. like it was a stepping stone it was in some ways an eye-opener that had to happen for this to happen and I I'd always look back at I'm being melodramatic here but I always look back at miserable moments in my life and with joy now because yeah. even like and I'll, I'll listen to like songs that were that I kind of tied to that era of my life I was like, oh, this is like depressing and yada yada yada. But now when I hear those songs, they oddly make me happy mm-hmm. because I'm yeah. past it now. I'm I'm in a better place now. I'm, I'm happy now. So it's a That's reminder a- of yeah.
2: That's such a good uh thing that you just brought up. You know, these songs that trigger these moments in our in our in the darkness. Yeah yeah and and then it gives you this reference point to think back on that like a to b right you know you think of that song and it's like that's the a point and then today is the b point all the little infinite points that were in in between you're you're right i i have this one song and it was i think 1994. um i remember um having a walk
0: you have one unheard message (laughs) I could really use current. (laughs) I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Man,
2: 1994, I was sitting um, sort of like in this forest area. Uh, I was a Marine. I was just coming into, it's the school that you have to go to to do whatever MOS, the, the job that you're in. And for non-blondes, was the song that I was that I had on repeat. I think the song is "What's Up." Is that the song? Wake up in the morning and I get yeah, yeah.
1: Take
2: a deep breath and I get real hot. So that song, um, as you you were telling your story, I'm thinking about that song and I'm like, God, it was so dark. It was one of those moments I was like, "What the fuck am I doing with my life?" I was like, it's my 18th week in the Marine Corps. 20th week in the Marine Corps and it was just like you know I didn't know anybody it was North Carolina I was in the woods and it was like you know one of these evenings and you know it's like kind of muggy kind of um yeah uh not not cool but it was just like pure misery
1: for you basically pure right?
2: misery yeah pure misery like where am I going after this this is but when I look back on that song and, and that song plays quite often yeah you're right it 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 conjures up these um, different points of like, oh my God, like that, that allows me to go back to that point in my life and go, well, I, was a, I was really like a, a blank sheet of paper. I was a yeah. white sheet of paper. Like like I was very moldable and ill-informed and didn't know shit. And I still don't know anything, but I mean, you know, compared
1: to uh, that. But you, you do you like find out now when you do hear that song and it does take you back there. Do you listen to it now with like, a bit of like uh uh, relief and you don't like necessarily enjoy the song itself, but you enjoy where it takes you back and seeing where you are now. Like does it make you feel happy now to hear it? Because that's that's what that's what songs do for me. Like sometimes I think about my
2: kids when I when I I think about them and I recently I think about them because I'm like, I wonder and I hope and I pray that they can go through this in a way where, you know, those early years without me or their mother or any guardianship and 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 they can survive that experience and be OK, you know, because it's kind of dangerous when you think about, you know, obviously a three and a five year old, you know, I. I can't think of them being 18, right? I only think of a three and a five year old as a parent. So it, it, it triggers a different part of me now that, you know, like maybe six years ago when I listened to that four nine blonde song, you know, it, you know, it, it it's a different feeling. But now I think about my children and I'm like, God, if they were in the woods and they were 18 at the time or 17 at the time, oh, okay. you know, are they gonna
1: are they gonna are they gonna be okay, you know? That's so interesting that you you project because like I don't have kids. Yeah. But as a parent you you basically take in the feeling I get to listening these old songs that brought me back to a, a you know not a great place in my life and you project it onto your kids and you think about you kind of put them in your shoes. That's Yeah. That, that's neat. It's really interesting that you do that. I guess that's the the sign that you you care about them.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. Dude, that's like an <laughs> understatement, man. Not a I think a, a lot of us parents are, you know, obsessed with, you know, uh, their safety, uh, how they're going to turn out. Um, you almost, I don't know, sometimes I feel like my life has already spoken for and, you know, it's all good. And uh, I secretly worry, you know, that if they're going to be fine um, with the climate change, with, you know, just different crazy shit in the world, you know.
1: Yeah, it, even like... Just- you know even before you know the, the big talk of climate change and like you know the war the pandemic all that stuff I would because like oh, most of my my friends have kids now so you know yeah. I kind of see uh, vicariously sort of like parenting and stuff like that and then I remember the way my parents raised me and I know I would just worry about every little thing everything like social media uh, whether they're bullied at school or yeah. if they are bullies at school, you know, like I don't want, I don't want some shit kid to like pick on someone else's kid, you know?
2: Yeah. But God damn it. Think about like what our parents went through, you know, these oh, <laughs> the arrows and the crazy journey that they went through. And yeah, um, when did your parents, uh, when did your parents come to the States? They came in 75. They came. 75. Oh, so right. Like
1: right at the fall or they left
2: a week before the fall
1: oh good timing
2: yeah you you know um i don't know how my dad got the insights uh, the inside information but uh he was a a lower ranking officer Uh, i'm not sure how he got the the word but he knew that this was going to go down in this day Mm. he sent out telegrams or he sent out pigeons right
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs)
2: The proverbial <laughs> pigeons to uh his three or four older uh siblings and um uncles and whatever there's like three or four of them saying saying hey i have a boat that's waiting for you down at the uh at, yeah there's a dock like san diego or whatever right yeah Just sort of like that I, I chartered a boat your families are are accounted for uh load up get your ass down here at the dock here's the day and uh wow none of them fucking went none of them no. responded and that is why i sort of have this like again these nuances in the conversation it's like oh. i have this like okay fuck you then if you don't listen and if you didn't trust your little the little jedi that just gave yeah. you a pigeon right Shit, then who's man. fucking fault and then each of those guys like one guy died in in, in the in the camp Another guy did 13 years. Another guy did six years. Right. And one other guy like narrowly escaped because whatever. So it's like um, we are making our decisions in real time all day long. And then my, my dad got on the boat with whatever people that um, that he figured out and he got out. So it's like at the end of the And he was the youngest of all these guys, too. So I'm at the same time thinking, OK, was it loyalty that kept you from not moving or was it? I no judgments, right? I'm yeah. I'm just putting it out there. It's like, or were you afraid of getting locked up from your own side, and you know your 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 command, your chain of command is going to reprimand you, and you know for leaving your post, or uh, were you truly somebody who really wanted that power and not want to let go of the power, right?
1: Yeah, I mean it it's been dark been- when
2: you think about this shit. Yeah. You know, you're talking about full board colonels, like uh, you know, uh, a full colonel. You know, doing 12 years, 14 years. You know, in your mid 30s. You know, and you're in a lot of power. You got jeeps. You got soldiers. You got all these fucking command guys under you. And so your your, your younger brother, your younger nephew, you know, tells you, you know, sends a pigeon out, and you know, and and says, you know, leave post. Because shit's going to go down and I have a boat chartered waiting for you. You're going to know if you get locked up, don't come looking for us. All of these guys were saying that to my dad. If you get locked up, don't come back in and fucking don't don't expect us to fucking bail you out, man. That shit never left my mind. Like when my dad recounts that story or, you know, he's passed away now, but I never. So my refugee story has its own weird meaning right my refugee story is like if the u.s ever goes down make sure that if my brother's in brazil at the time or fucking you know uh in africa or somewhere in in finland get the fuck out and go and yeah and, and don't ask
1: questions just yeah, go just, you know like, this yeah this you're not joking around here right yeah yeah oh man that's yeah, so it affected the
2: way I've lived life, kind of like, you know, I have this nomadic way of looking at life, even though I've lived in LA my entire life and have not left other than the four years in the military. But hmm. yeah, it, it it it's really affected the way I see um my world because I always felt like at any time uh you'll get the proverbial pigeon and you got to make a decision, you know. I, I still live with that 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 horror in my in my in my heart thinking about my dad's uncles and older brother and you know all these big uh dug in um, positions that that they all had crazy, crazy well, i mean that,
1: that's that's what i guess like uh is that, that's kind of like what generational trauma is right like you don't live it yourself yeah. but your your parents live it and it you know it comes out in their daily routines and you're gonna pick up on it yeah and, and then and in this case, he actually like told you literally what the story was. And you're like, well, shit. Yeah. No wonder uh, it, it was like, that's, that's man. That's I, I can't get over, Dude, that is crazy. Yeah, for sure. Some that's
2: crazy, crazy shit. So like when I'm at a, like a concert, I'm always looking at where the exit points are. <laughs> it's crazy. You know, 80,000 people in the stadium or 20,000 people in the stadium. I'm like. Where the fuck are the exit signs? I just want to make oh, sure we got it safely. Don't go to any
1: uh don't go to any Travis Scott concerts you'll be fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, man, it's it's crazy.
1: Oh, sorry, you just froze up person. <laughs> I'm
2: wondering what the um Okay. I think it's stopped. Okay. I think we're good. It's I, I want to shift gears into um crypto and NFT um, for art, Um, have you gotten into it?
1: No, no, I've, you know, I've I've had a lot of thought on it. Uh, Watched a lot of stuff on it. I still don't fully feel comfortable jumping into it. And I'm I'm not judging anyone who does, because I know there's a lot of hate for it right now. So I'm not jumping on that bandwagon, I'm not jumping on the hate wagon, but I just don't feel that it's for me, especially at this point. Um, there's still too much I don't know about it, even with all the information out there. And I've had uh, some friends that have gotten into it, and it's been great for them. Uh, but I don't know. Like, there's a stigma attached to it now too. With uh, you've seen like the board ape and that stuff. And I'm, I'm not gonna like shit on someone else's work but this board ape just doesn't uh, like it doesn't feel feel like art to me it just feels like collectible uh, this is going to sound harsh but it just looks like shit to me like funko pops yeah yeah and like i get i understand collectability and stuff but it's just i don't like it i don't like the, those board apes but that's that's not saying just NFT, nfts and all like
2: yeah just that corner of the
1: yeah yeah there's this like and that's a huge part of that market right so and again like the the nfts that my friend does they're legit she puts effort into them Uh, another friend does uh, nfts and he he got in on them early and he he does these really cool like skull animations yeah they look really they, they look dope but then all of popular ones that all the celebrities are jumping on i don't know man they just don't look good to me and i don't want to i don't want to like kind of get uh, tied up in that i don't i don't know it, it, it's, it's hard for me to comment on nfts without sounding like um not shitting on them
2: yeah I, I, get I'm, it. I'm not, I get it oh and i appreciate yeah i appreciate your point of view um yeah. it it well it's one of those things where we're going to see where this turns out you know how yeah that's
1: that's that's what i'm doing right now like i'm i'm you know i never say never yeah but for the time being i'm not going to get into that space Uh, i might change my mind like six months from now a year from now uh if things get better in that space if things are a little more you know legit with with certain transactions and there's the environmental impact that everyone talks about as well i don't know enough about that to get into it so
2: the the more i think about nfts the more i start to drift into this weird world of
1: art and money laundering yeah dude for sure and like art has kind of always been used for money laundering but now it's on this this scale that i other scale yeah and i don't fucking get it i really don't
2: Well, okay. Well, let's let's break this down for 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 everybody. Okay, you don't get the money laundering, or you don't get the NFT and the money laundering, or you don't get the art coupled with the NFT and money laundering. Well, what part you know of what? this whole equation you don't?
1: I think there's just like like okay, I understand money laundering. I understand people do that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's uh. Shit, I don't even know what to say. You well, okay, hey, like, let me let, let me is. let me
2: ask you this. Yeah, yeah, what were you gonna say? Are you gonna say something? Well, I
1: was just basically like, I I don't want to like shit on NFTs, but I also don't want to be part of what uh, a lot of it is used for nowadays. Yeah. Because you know? yeah, there's like a lot of scamming, a lot of art theft. That's that's another thing. Oh and, really? Oh shit, tons tons of art theft. Like people are just pulling people's work off of like Instagram and deviant art and all that stuff and they're just like throwing it up there and they're selling for thousands of dollars just like random people oh shit yeah and there's nothing you can no, do about there's it there's nothing no no it's just like well your 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 work was stolen there's shit i can do about it you know there's no governing body there's no cuz yeah like uh, the crypto space is so it's unregulated right so yeah. yeah yeah so who who am i going to complain to
2: <laughs> so this whole thing about, I think it's Hunter Biden, right? Do you, do you follow this stuff?
1: Um, not the <laughs> not the recent <laughs> stuff, but I kind of had to take a tiny break from politics just a yeah. little bit.
2: But. I think Hunter Biden <laughs> we're, we're is the guy it? that, I think it's Hunter Biden. I'm pretty sure it's him uh, who I think is a decent artist, but his shit goes for millions and millions of dollars, right? Wait, Hunter Biden's an artist? Is it Hunter Biden? One of these political Joe, like Joe Biden's kid, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. It's got to be Hunter Biden, I think. Yeah, because there's just so much, so much going on around it. So this is what I like. You know, I kind of been paying attention to. It's like it's one of these guys. It's I, I, let's just call him Hunter Biden for now, but you know, yeah, I for, could be for
1: argument's sake, right?
2: Yeah, I could be very wrong. Um, so you put something together, you draw something. And he moves it for millions. Yeah. It's perfectly fucking legal.
1: Yeah. That's, that's the thing. <laughs> right? But here, here's the thing that pisses me off. Like if he made it himself, if he's the artist, that's cool. You know, like get, get the money, right? No, but... I
2: think he, he is the artist, but the thing is this, he's in a position in government
1: to oh. take money I see what you're saying. Yeah. And in, any, that,
2: in, in any weird capacity like that, like that shit's going on. Right?
0: Let me, a, let me another, take, yeah,
1: it's dark. That's another uh, debate right there. Like, I mean, if if because if he's not directly involved in politics, but he, he can't not be because his dad's the fucking president, right? So it's kind of, it's kind of part of your world. Are you, oh, shit. I mean,
2: what what other thing in the world can you create out of thin air? Put it on canvas, make a sculpture, whatever the fuck you do yeah. that you can go, you know what? I want five million for that.
1: Oh, geez. Right? And
2: I then you know just take I'm five saying. million for that arbitrary creation.
1: See, it's it's, it's like,
0: it's, it's not
1: the, the the getting the five million for the creation I mind, because that's what art is, right? Like you, yeah. you're an artist, you're a creator, you created something and you're getting paid for it. Now, the conflict of interest is like the politics involved. I don't understand the, mm-hmm. the legal stuff around that, so I can't really comment, but...
2: There's nothing anybody can do. Yeah. There's nothing anybody can do. It, it's very fascinating. There's, My I mean...
1: Feet. Yeah, my, my beef is with the, the people just like taking screenshots of other people's work and them selling it for whatever amount of money, right?
2: Yeah, that's a different conversation.
1: That's this, totally is, a conversation. Yeah,
2: this is a different yeah. conversation. I'm talking about like, you know, you're handing over money to a politician in a way yeah. that's completely legal, you know, and you change the course of humanity based on this kind of shit, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, shit. Didn't even think about that. I didn't. Yeah.
2: Well, first of all, I didn't even know he was a he was an artist. I think it's Hunter Biden. I could I could be wrong again. To, like, you know, but yeah, right. it's it's you know like this is something that um, you know, laundering money in art uh seems to be something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. As I'm, you know, that, that's why I wanted to bring it up. I was like, do you know anything about this world of of you know, how money is exchanged. And, and I think it's interesting to talk about because then there's an, a, a, celebra- a celebratory side of art that can freely pass uh, and artists can make a lot of money because of this way of doing money exchange without mm-hmm. taxes and, and all of that stuff. And, uh, you know, that is a whole episode in itself to discuss that kind of like money movement in the world of art.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely, there's so many schemes and scams definitely used for money laundering. There's also, uh, I don't know the term, but there's a lot of creators that buy their own NFT to drive the, the price up. Mm. So it's, um, but it, again, it, it's it's legal. It's perfect because it's there's no regulation. There's no right. law against that. So there's that. Um don't know how I feel about that. Like if it's legal, it's fine, but like, it's just so illegitimate to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know? like, no one fucking bought that. You bought it yourself <laughs> so that it would look more valuable in the market. That's scarcity, right? All right. I mean, <laughs> scarcity. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I can't even like, I would never do that, but that's me.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I, I want people to genuinely want, own my work. That's how I want to make my money. It's like from people who actually want to own my work, right? Not for, not as an investment. I mean, my work's not an investment, anyways. But like, if it was, you know, like I, I want people to like enjoy it. It's like reading a comic book, you know. Like, there's those people's those those people that like just buy them, bag them, board them, and they think that it's gonna like Accrue. grow in value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. They don't read them. They don't enjoy the stories. I want you to enjoy the, I want you to enjoy my, my work. I want you to look at it and hang it up and, you know, enjoy it.
2: How is your work received in Vietnam? Do you have any idea?
1: I have a vague idea. I've heard from a few people. Um, do you know, do you know uh, uh, Paul Christensen from the here? I've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. So he did an interview with me uh, last year. And he kind of shared his work with some of his colleagues in Saigon. And from what he told me, it got really good feedback. Apparently he was like, "Uh, you know, when you come back here, bring some prints, let me know. And I'm going to get an order because there's some, I've talked to a lot of friends who want to like buy your prints.
2: Have you ever ever been to Vietnam?
1: uh, Born there and then didn't go back until 2019. Oh, okay. So recent, recent. Yeah. Recent, recent ish. Uh, So yeah, I was born there in 79. We left when I was two. And you never, you've
2: never shown in Vietnam or uh, exchanged money for, for your, your art, your art?
1: No, no, not in Vietnam. Most of my market is the States, States and then Canada. And then after that, just like Europe in general, like I've had, People, customers in uh, UK, Germany, France. I think the closest I've shipped to Vietnam was Singapore. I had a sale, a couple of sales in Singapore. Yeah.
2: You brought up something um, in a, a few sentences ago. You said something about uh, your work is not or your art's not an investment yet, or something like that. Yeah. When does that start to happen in the world in the life of an artist, like? people start buying it as investment pieces.
1: Uh that's uh, that's that's up to the uh that's up to the public. And <laughs> if what, I could control it, I'd make it yeah. an investment. Now.
2: What, what, it's, what just, it's
1: just about like uh What dictates that I'm Sorry, go
2: ahead. Yeah, what dictates what triggers that uh that way of thinking in the public?
1: Uh to be honest, I don't really know. I think it's just demand, right? Like you, you get on the right projects, you get the right eyes on it, you get the right people to promote it. That's not always the case, but, like, those are always big factors. And more people see your work, more people want it, and you just become more prolific. Like, you look at uh, James Jean. You, you know the artist James Jean? No. he He's... Man, like, he's just killing it. He killed in the art. I don't even think he does it for money anymore. He just does it because he wants to now. He started out, I know, I don't know where he started started out, but he did a lot of covers for DC Comics back in, like, the early 2000s. And after that, he just started, like, and this was on top of his own personal work, too. And then he just started doing more of that more notoriety, and then I think he had whew, he had his art officially printed on Prada or Gucci or something like that. I can't remember, but one of those like mega you brands. know money, yeah, the mega brands. Yeah, and he just like blew up. blew up, and yeah, now he's just he's living the good life, and his his work still now it's so different, but you could tell he's gotten so much more experimental, and I think it's. Awesome. Like his work is still really good, but now he's just doing it for joy of it. It's it seems anyways. Like I don't know personally, but that's what it seems like to me. I,
2: I have an so observation. I think- it, it it's like uh when I think of filmmakers, artists, chefs, whoever are who are making, creating, I think of your early days, first years as you're putting things together, but it doesn't have the signature mark of a Brian Wong, right? It it, it doesn't have that like no specific specificity of your fingerprint in there yet, right? Your DNA. Right. And I think as you go along the DNA of the, the way, like as a podcaster, like I'll ask questions. Oh, that's that's his signature or that's his, his way. But you don't develop that shit until you're like at least 10,000 hours, as Malcolm Gladwell says right into it. And and then slowly, uh, if you get to be prolific enough and you're doing it enough, then your fingerprint starts to show up in people's minds, like automatically it's like, holy shit, that's, that's him. That's, that's Kanye. That's yeah. whatever. Right. Even just yeah. listen to the beats of, 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 what he produced. You're like, Oh, that that's a signature thing. And I think oh, that's like sure. every art form is like that. It's like, you know, you could put a, a blindfold on somebody and you're like, you know, whoever is like eating in, in these, High-end environments, are like, oh, that that belongs to Chef so and so or whatever. That you know, right. once you get into that world, you begin to say, oh, that's that's a Brian Huang, you know, and you don't even know. Y- there's no, you know, you don't even need to see it. You just can tell by the lighting, the colorate, the coloring, that that's a signature. That's Brian. You
1: know. Yeah, totally. And you 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 do develop that during the ten thousand hours. You know, yeah. it's just after the ten thousand hours. It's like when you've kind of like hit it and then after that you hopefully continue and evolve but yeah it's it doesn't just happen you do have to kind of like you said like the the fingerprint slowly forms evolves you you experiment because like when I first started drawing uh well I've been drawing since I was a kid so but like when I started taking it seriously like during college and all that stuff all my work looked like you know Jim Lee because That's why I grew up collecting. I collected his comic Mm. books. You know, you kind of see everyone has developed this gimmick. So you try to develop that gimmick. And then after that, you you, you take pieces of everything and then you make it your own. So that's yeah, that's how it happened with me.
2: Yeah, I can't wait to see more years of where you're taking this, because right now it's phenomenal. And I I feel like you're just you're you've, you've done your time but you're also growing cause I could, you got get see the trajectory on, uh, on Instagram and it's beautiful. It's, it's amazing.
1: Appreciate it's amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping to like, cause like, you know, you, you bring up music and stuff. Like you look at some bands, they have like five, six albums under their belt and no one gives a shit about them until like that seventh album. And then all of a yeah. sudden, boom, you know,
2: that yeah, exactly. success. Exactly seven albums in overnight success yeah, right. <laughs> 15 years at it and it's an overnight thing
1: <laughs> well i know you're a big tupac fan he kind of like <laughs> he kind of hit big when he started uh doing uh, he signed up with death row right like when he yeah. started working with Dre and stuff like, i think that's when he hit his stride
2: you know i was just looking at a TikTok on tupac the other day and it was like the young super young tupac very eloquent uh, speaking in um, in a way that's like you feel like he's a college student, and he's talking with so much respect about women, and then like he talks about how Jada kind of like uh, didn't give him time of day, where oh she's like you're not a bad boy or whatever, and then like a year later you see the 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 before and after the after video, and you're like he completely he starts using the b word describes women yeah. as bitches just makes that jump into becoming, you know, and as an artist, you know, whatever happened to him, that evolution took him in a, in a totally different, uh, weird way. But, you know, having bumped into Jada, that's what happened to him as an artist, you know, getting spurned by her.
1: And that, that's the thing, like art comes from all these influences yeah. and life experiences, yeah. whether negative or positive. And man, it's, it's, crazy and then you look at it does but then there's also just like a natural creative evolution right so there's that where this is this jarring like, this, this shit happened to you and you just went in this other direction but then over time you continue on that path and you evolve and like you look at um and using another like group uh the roots they start out kind of like jazz like all live music but just very hip-hop right yeah. like really just philadelphia hip-hop mm-hmm. and now you listen to them, they're just but oh, these guys are amazing musicians like they've always been but like now they're just like another level it's not just hip-hop they like infuse everything jazz rock like wow. and, and on the on the spot too you know i don't want to bring up the roots because uh black dot's like one of my favorite rappers ever so <laughs> but yeah, yeah it, it's it's incredible to like listen to that how you can have a jarring uh turn of, of face with your musical style but then you can also have this slow growth and i think that applies to like art too like anything creative really
0: yeah you know?
2: yeah and i think what we're talking about is sort of like a dexterity you know there's a dexterity when yeah. you add it long enough that you can what you're talking yeah. about with the roots there's they're just their dexterity, their their mental agility to do their creative uh craft is is on another level That's because the, they've done it so much.
1: Yeah. Perfect word for it is dexterity. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of music though, like uh what are your some some of your favorite uh musicians? Like what did you grow up listening to?
2: I grew up listening to a lot of different uh music, uh Vietnamese music, uh a lot of country music. Uh grew up predominantly Sigan.
1: Uh, never had you paid as a country guy
2: yeah well being in the marine corps you know was, i was around a lot of country music yeah. uh george Strait, uh garth brooks uh, leanne rhymes uh um, a lot of you know i went to a garth brooks concert by myself in 96 in san wow. diego um dwight yokum i mean yeah you name it i i was really in the mix with with country music there's a there's a sort of um, a parallel to to Vietnamese um, Paris by night music and country music because uh, the chord progressions and the simplicity mm-hmm. of the, um, you know, there's no dissonant chords. There's no like, you know, jazzy notes. There's no syncopation. You know, there's not a lot going on. It's very, it's very simple uh, right. music. Um, yeah. Although the themes are a little bit different, but the simplicity is the same. Uh, so there's, for me, it was, there's this, uh, instant connection with, uh, with country music
1: when I was exposed to it. Uh, then that's awesome that you, 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 yeah, you connected like the Vietnamese music to the country music and that's where you kind of like, that's, it, that's how it hit you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The simplicity of the, of the messages. And, uh, you know, I, I listened to a lot of opera, uh, growing up um after college because you know i took vocal classes and you know singing and so i have an appreciation for 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 opera and you know my favorite uh vocalist is probably andrea bocelli is not really an opera singer but you know pop pop italian um opera pop opera if there is that category but yeah andrea bocelli um is is andrea bocelli and and elton john are my two favorite uh uh, vocalist uh, when it comes to music and then a lot of rap because i grew up in the inner city um but i there's a real distinction between west coast people and east coast people i cannot get in the east coast rap really eh? yeah it's just a weird you know, was- <clears throat> so going- thing for me man
1: going through that i was like i mean if you're talking about like just the the, the labels themselves of like death row and bad boy yeah. I always kind of sided more with like Death Row just because I like Dre's beats. I thought he was such a beat maker. But man, and I know that they weren't part of Bad Boy, but I also really dug Nas and Wu Tang and you know all those guys. So it's kind of hard to pick. You just I think you, just, you you like good music, right? You just like
2: Yeah, but there's a weird thing when um when like you hear uh you know, Snoop and Nate rapping about two one and Lewis. You know, and that's a mm-hmm. street corner in Long Beach, and it's like I'm, you know, I'm half an hour from that corner. Yeah, but, you know, he talks raps about Crenshaw. You know, I, you know, all these West Coast. You know, Dr. Dre raps about Crenshaw. I grew up like uh a, a five minute uh walk to that inter- those intersections, and so there's this sort of connection that you know for. For me, as a West Coast uh you know, kid in the 90s, I, I gravitate towards. And Tupac, you know, his, his his lyrics just reach out to me in a certain way that I can't connect with Jay-Z, you know. Um, I can yeah. appreciate the genius of a Nas or even the roots. You're talking about the roots. And I'm like, yes, they're the dexterity, the the, the virtuosity of of these musicians, but I still can't get into it. You know, like, it's just not. My uh Biggie, I can appreciate the genius of Biggie, but for me, it's like it's always gonna be Tupac because that's just the familiarity of, of or and Dr. Dre and and Snoop, you know, Snoop, Dr. Dre, and Tupac will always be my yeah the, 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 the I triumvirate. Love, I love those.
1: Yeah. No, but you, you bring up a good point too, or it's like there there's like skill and talent, but there's also like connecting with your audience yeah. in their you know, they're, they're separate, they're, they're together, but they're also separate things too. Like, uh, you know, going back to the art thing, like I've seen so many incredible artists, like on Instagram, on, you know, like just learning about them, yeah. collecting comic books, all these great illustrators. But why do some stick out to me and the others who are possibly even more talented? I just don't pay Can as that- much attention yeah i don't connect to them there's 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 a connection and uh i guess for you it's like geographical uh and that's 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 something that counts like i know for me like i i I don't coming from toronto i don't really care about drake (laughs) so uh so for me it's not a geographical thing but there's just something in the what they sing about or the, the the music like I don't know. Like I, I obviously can't relate to their life experiences cuz very different from my own. But maybe it's the passion they sing it with or the the way it layers on the beats that it's just uh it's unexplainable connectivity, right? You know, it's it's, that's it's the-
2: yeah, geography is a weird thing, man. I I, I you know, I'm going to say this, this sounds really woo woo, you know. It sounds really funny, but Okay so there's a a specific dialect in Viet, Vietnam in Saigon right mm-hmm. there's this weird uh and I'm not saying that I that I that I can nail it every time and hear it and nail it like oh that's where you're from but there's this weird familiarity when a woman or a man speaks with me uh, uh from Vietnam and and I go yo where 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 Vietnam are you from and then they're like Phu right and there's this it's in, it's in Saigon. It's somewhere near uh, District 1. And mm-hmm. and it's just weird because if their families you know, grew up there in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and 2000s, uh, there is a way that they speak. Um, and I can't describe it. I don't know how to describe it. But every time I've asked, and it could be a mental thing where they say Funyun, and I'm like, ah, that's <laughs> well, a majority of the, the my mother's family grew up uh, in the train. There's a train track that goes through Funyun. And I can just hear the train tracks when they say Funyun, like any stranger, and, and the way they speak, uh, it's just a, a a way of speaking that I feel so at home with my aunts, and, and I can feel like mm-hmm. them making Bunceo in the kitchen as the train goes by, because... Mm-hmm. You know, in the early 2000s, late nineties, when I went back to Vietnam, that's sort of like the 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 kind of imprint that that I got. I'm um, I mean, like, whoa! It's a lot of people talking like my mom and her siblings in this particular region of the city, right? This is right. And and so every time I hear somebody speak, I'm like, oh, where are you from? And they're like, there's this easygoing way of speaking, and from people from Funo in that that area. And so. You know, it's, it's a weird thing of, that I have with geography, same thing with Tupac and, and, and Snoop when they're rapping about these like this 10, 20 mile g- geographic area that I grew up in. It's like this familiarity mm-hmm. that we have uh, that we connect. Yeah, to. you know what they're talking about. You yeah, know exactly
1: what they're talking about. So, you, yeah, you you, you you get it. But so uh, kind of touching on the the, the accents, though. Can you understand when someone speaks Vietnamese with a Northern dialect? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't. Like, I I can pick out (laughs) words. I can understand certain words that kind of, like, enough to kind of get the gist of things. But, man, like, with me to understand Vietnamese to be so specific, like, they have to speak basically like my family speaks. They have to have the same accent as my family. So, like when I listen to your your Vietnamese interviews, I understand you perfectly. But I'll watch some YouTube videos, and um, you know they're like northern dialect. And my wife will be like, "What what they say?" I'm like, "I don't fucking know." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it it's
2: um you know you get into some of the central highlands or whatever at that you you get lost because they're just so different from what we're we're used to. Um, you know, there's some parts of Australia. Uh, or Ireland or Scotland that's they're speaking English and you're like, what the fuck? You know, it's same oh, thing. Yo, it's just same thing.
1: Yeah. I, I, I used to know this guy, John Boyle, he was uh, Irish and I could understand him when he spoke, but when we yeah. went out drinking and he would like, you know, three beers in, I'm like, I don't know what the hell you just said to me. I like we we talk about music a lot, and he's like, bla, 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 "The Cure," and I was like, yeah. "That's the only word." I was like, "So does he <laughs> like the Cure, or he's not like the Cure?" But it was English, but not. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's how I kind of feel when I hear Northern Vietnamese accent. I'm like, I can make out words, and I can make out, you know, enough sometimes to get what they're talking about, but. I would not. You
2: know, there's an evolution of language in English Vietnamese. What you know, there's evolutions of language in pockets of the 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 world in Vietnam that evolved without even some people in Vietnam and Saigon probably don't understand that local, you know, uh, colloquial the 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 vernacular, the local vernacular is not understood to people in the south. So. People in the South don't get it. How the fuck are we gonna get it in 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 the West, right? Vietnamese diaspora. That's it's almost impossible.
1: Well, I, I heard. Uh, actually, it might have been on your podcast or another podcast. I can't remember, but isn't there this like theory that like, um, or maybe a study where the diaspora has kind of like just clung to the old language, where well, but sure. in the homeland, yeah, in the homeland, it's evolved past that. But what we heard was what we what, when we left right so we're still we're still speaking like 70s vietnamese yeah and there they... and,
2: and there is also distinction between the 70s vietnamese the hanoian accent and the saigonese accents too mm-hmm. so so there is this sort of like um frozen and you know uh fossilized hanoian 75 you know of tai tang and kindly you know that it's the singers who are speaking a specific Hanoian um, dialect uh, that the South spoke differently um, that's frozen in yeah. time. And it's um, very elegant and, and, and beautiful to listen to. That when you go to Hanoi today, it is not even reminiscent of it. It's just very different.
1: So yeah, it's, and-
2: it's a beautiful thing. I think it's, it's such a, an amazing thing to, to have all of this part of our colorful well, Vietnamese history sure. and heritage.
1: For sure. Like, I think just language in general, right? Like it, it it is, it's, it's a living thing. It evolves with the generations.
2: Yeah. And your art too, yeah, your art, you know, art- I, I think in, 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 um, when my kids get to a certain point, they're going to look at, and they're going to Oh shit in the twenties, which is right now, not the 1920s, but the twenty twenty two, the twenties, oh, Brian's art within the twenties. This is what that looked like. This is was his interpretation of the world um, from his, from his eyes.
1: Well, I'm hoping people still talk about my work twenty years from now. Yeah, I'll be right. happy if people are still talking about my work five years from now. You know.
2: Yeah, if you don't stop, people would. Yeah, of course. You know, if none of us stop and we just keep creating until the day we pass out. You know, I think, people we'll, it, it. people. So that's will talk my plan. It, yeah. Yeah,
1: that's my plan for sure.
2: Yeah. Well, Brian, today was all uh, you know. I always learned so much talking to you know artists and creators, and you know, thank you so much for opening up and, and telling oh, me about your work well, and life.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. Like, uh, I can I be honest for a second, like, yeah, of course. When, oh, yeah, and we'll bring this up. I wanted to thank uh Juan Lee for introducing yes. us, that was great of her, so I appreciate her doing that. But when I got that email from you, I was like, oh, you. Because, again, like uh, I mentioned this before, I, I'm, I'm familiar with your podcast. You probably just wants to, like, look into, like, some like, artwork or something. And then when you ask for an interview, I'm like, this guy's had some pretty named guests on. i like, what the fuck am I going to talk about? Like, so I hope I didn't bore you because <laughs> you, you, you had some names on your your podcast. So. I was quite surprised when you you asked me to be like part of your your library now.
2: This this whole idea of like um and I deal with it too in my own head. Like um mm-hmm. I think fingerprints, right? If we can examine these fingerprints in all of the creators that we we talk with, it's just a matter of um who's been working at their craft to get their own fingerprint sort of like in clear focus. Right. And, and where you catch these artists or creators in their journey of, 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 of their process of creation is, is wherever you catch, wherever you land. Right. Like I'm landing here today with you this year, this time. And I get, I get a snapshot of that. Um, somebody like Vitan Win is on a different continuum of his and I got to catch it at that point in time and have a discussion with him all of it to me is beautiful no matter where the artists or the creators are or the politician or the historian Right. so I am so invested in seeing where that snapshot of that evolving storyline or that fingerprint is in the history of the vietnamese so i i want to just put it for the record it's like um i I will continually do this no matter if the artist like yourself is is you know being uh uh recommended by somebody like one lee Uh, or somebody who nobody knows about, but I'm interested in the, the formation of that DNA pattern or that fingerprint pattern. And I want to, obviously, I'm going to study and research a bit about uh, your work before I reach out or make yeah, ask for the introductions. But every artist, whether they're starting out or they've been at it for a long time, it's very interesting to see that, you know, it's like catching a young Tupac. Uh, I'm not saying yeah. you're a young Tupac, but I'm just saying, like, God, if, if you can catch a young Tupac or a young, anybody, a young human being, anybody. Old, an oldie, anybody just yeah. to capture these patterns of thinking is, is magical to me.
1: That's awesome, man. I love that. Yeah. I, I love the, the, that analogy. I love the, everything. That's great. Having commented on that is just, uh, you know, you, you try not to compare yourself to the success of other people because that's just a distraction. And I try not to do that. But, you know, I want to have something interesting to say when you bring me on, right? And these people you brought on have very interesting things to say. So, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate you, like, having me on, man. Like, r- truly. It's awesome. Yeah. I And I, and I
2: think that everybody has so much interesting things to say i i really do but I, you know I, and i think i'm biased because i i love humanity and i love the the small stories the little nooks and crannies that um we don't get to see often so mm-hmm. um whether it's a big story big personality or small story small person all of it is for me there's no sort of um there's no i i don't i, I don't make distinctions because i could spend I can spend a hundred hours with you just like I can spend a hundred hours with my, my kids. I can spend a hundred hours just with humanity because there's just the process of where you, uh, what you've gone through to get to the work that you've done is, um, is, is, is already just a mind blowing, uh, journey to, 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 if you man. think about it. Right.
1: Thank you, man. I appreciate yeah, that. It's yeah. valuable. Guess, yeah. Like- Everyone's got a story, right? Like no matter how big or small it is, everyone's got a story, so.
2: Dude, even if we were to talk about your 10 years as a mini bar attendant, I bet you that there are things that I could spend maybe three hours just talking about that, you know, that 10 years. Easily spend three hours with you talking about the mini bar world, you know?
1: Oh, for sure, yeah, for sure. Like, you know, on paper, it sounds like so boring, but, yeah, no, stories come out of like being a mini bar attendant, you know, or just working yeah. at a hotel in general. Like, there, you, you get some interesting guests sometimes, and, uh, <laughs> you know, employees talk. So, yeah, I've, I've got stories. If, if you ever want to do a podcast on my mini bar experience, <laughs> uh, have me back on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Brian, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate your time.
1: No, I appreciate you, man. Appreciate it. Thank you.
2: Okay, cool, man. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Awesome. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese
2: with Kenneth Nguyen. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran. Special thanks to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trinh. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcast. Thanks again for listening.